QUT acknowledges the Turrbal and Yugara as the First Nations owners of the lands where QUT now stands. We pay respects to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of teaching, research and learning. QUT acknowledges the important role Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people play within the QUT community. And here at How To Academia, we also acknowledge that these lands have never been ceded. Welcome to How To Academia. Leaving high school and joining the world of uni can be a weird and difficult time. On this podcast, we talk to our friends, students and academics to find out how they went about the process of developing professional skills, dealing with challenges and generally navigating the gooey mess of being a human in the academic world. Our guest to this episode is Katie Innes. Katie is a recent graduate from a dual degree in psychology and justice from QUT. At time of recording, she was just about to start a new role as an intelligence case analyst. I'll let her tell you more about that in the episode. In this conversation, Jodie and Katie discuss the importance of problem solving and knowing your strengths in the workplace, the transferable skills we learn in justice, and Katie tells the story of studying in Sweden at the start of 2020. Without any further ado, Katie Innes. Welcome to How To Academia. Hi. Who are you? My name's Katie, Katie Ennis. I am a psychology and justice graduate from QUT. I graduated last year and I currently work as an investigations officer at Trademark Investigation Services. But I'm currently going into a new role on Friday as an intelligence case analyst for ProCare Medical Group. That's sounds amazing and so interesting and I can't wait to talk to you about those kind of gigs. What made you decide to study psychology and justice? Well I really enjoyed kind of learning about crime and you know my mum always made me watch Law and Order and stuff when I was little and my nana was a psychiatrist as well and kind of when I got into school I did legal I feel like most people do legal at school and it was just really great to like get that sort of experience and I don't know I just really liked learning about crime and the opportunity to help people who are on the other side of the law and seeing it from a different perspective rather than just bad people I really liked understanding you know why do people do this and how can we help so when I figured out that there was a justice degree at QUT I knew I had to get involved. (laughs) I love it. Was it what you expected? Yes and no. I think when I went into it, I had this whole perception that it was going to be crime fighting and all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, learning about how to hold a gun. (laughs) (laughs) But no, but when I actually was in my, you know, second year and I started realising the bigger research component and more so learning rather than the practical application, um... I just started enjoying it a lot more because I realised then that I actually really enjoy research. So it was definitely a great experience. It was not really what I expected, but I was happy with what it was in the end. When you went in, did you kind of have a, like, when I grow up, I want to be that kind of goal? I went through so many. I think for a while I wanted to be a lawyer, but then my mum said... Katie, you'd probably cry every time there was an argument. You'd get too flustered. And I said, that's probably true. 
Uh, and then I went on to wanting to do, I wanted to be an autopsy technician. Ah, yes. Yeah. I then realized you had to go to medical school. Then that was off the cards immediately. <laughs> I like studying, but I don't like that much study. Yeah, yeah. Then I wanted to be a forensic psychologist. Like I feel like everyone that comes into justice sometimes wants to be. But then when I kind of left, I wanted to do intelligence. More so working with the government in like counterterrorism and like home affairs, border force, that sort of stuff. How did you kind of come to intelligence as the space where you thought you wanted to be? Well, I knew I was always quite good in having like an intuition with things, investigating. I found when I was doing assignments, especially in justice, when you're researching lots of theories, you're also trying to have an investigation sort of going on. You're trying to find the answers. And I got offered my current role straight out of uni. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do just yet, but the role itself seemed quite interesting and I feel like it was all the skills that I had learned were quite applicable to the role. And I've been there for 16 months and I don't know, I just had a really great time and yeah. it just stuck out to me that yeah, I really like investigations, I really like trusting my gut and you know looking through research and finding the answer and I was always really satisfied with myself when I did and I felt like that's something that you should want in your career to be satisfied with your work so I'm happy that I found that right now so quickly. Yeah. Tell me how that offer came about. Well I actually found it on the QUT Career Hub page so I was in like my last month of my degree or something and I was just going through a bunch of different, you know, websites, Seek, LinkedIn, Indeed, and then I came across the QT like Career Hub page that I actually didn't even know existed. And I just found this like one position, which actually wasn't the position that I got hired for. It was for skip tracing, which is where you mainly locate people. I applied for it, but it was a casual role yeah. and I didn't get it. And I emailed back a week or two after the applications closed when I didn't hear anything and the HR lady reached out and said oh we actually didn't give you that role because we wanted to offer you this full-time role and I was like perfect yeah. <laughs> I need that right now and yeah then I just got offered the role and went in for an interview and I got the job. <laughs> I love that totally about the big plug for the career QT career hub I feel like students need to seek that out and then big plug for emailing back and yeah. going, what's the story? Like, yeah, my mum always told me, like, when I was applying for retail jobs, like, you need to go in, you need to show your face, like, get in there, show your resume, even if they're not hiring, and always follow up your emails and always follow them up because they're always going to remember the person that kept pestering them rather than the person that never emailed at all. And every job I've gotten has been because I've been really persistent with the people, so. I love that. I love that just... Like, if it's something you're interested in, follow up. Even if you just need a job, yeah. follow up and show that you can show up. And I think that's really important. So I'm going to confess, Katie, that I have no idea what your job does or what your organisation does. Can you tell me about that? Yes. So Trademark Investigation Services is a part of another company called Risk and Security Management. So it's like risk governance. Um, they have about five separate departments within risk and security management. So uh, repossessions, uh, lost recovery, skip tracing, and 
and like process serving, so serving legal documents to people. Uh, and then I work in the investigations department. So I have two roles technically. I am an RS investigations officer and a TMIS investigations officer, which they do two separate things. So mainly for TMIS, I do trademark infringement. So clients will email us being like, hey, our client has a trademark. We think someone's infringing it. Can you do an investigation? That's the most basic form of the job. On top of that, we do site visits. So we'll go to sites, I guess, and visit them. And we'll do like a a little investigation doing field work. We also work in anti-counterfeiting. So IP protection for like Gucci, Louis Vuitton. We have like big brand clients that we protect their trademarks for. So we do constant market and shop sweeps around Australia. We go to like the ECA, Melbourne show, and we serve like warning letters. We also seize items. So we help the police with seizing like large amounts of luxury counterfeit goods. Uh, And we also work with Australian Border Force in customs. So people that are trying to import counterfeits for sale. But my main thing is I do investigations. So we also do surveillance on people. Uh, We also do locating people, serving people documents, making sure they attend court, that sort of stuff. (laughs) That sounds awesome. I've got to say, what about your degree equipped you for this kind of a role? Definitely just the research and being really persistent and trying to find answers. Honestly, like a lot of it I had to learn on the spot. I didn't study law so I didn't really know much about the IP law and like the legislation but it was pretty much just writing reports being persistent with an investigation and research and just covering all your bases to try and find an answer which is what I felt like I did a lot of injustice you know comparing theories trying to find the right like response to the question which is pretty much all it is we get sent a bunch of questions from clients and we have to answer them so finding different ways to get that information so that's probably what set me up the best. I love that because, like, I feel like those are the skills that we teach that are transferable to a whole yeah. range of jobs Yeah, jobs that you don't really know that until you're, like, in it. Did you have a moment of, oh, I'm actually really good at this? <laughs> yeah, I, I did. There was a few times we worked for some like quite famous clients doing investigations and the clients came back to us after you know a really lengthy report I think I spent you know 20 hours on it you know over the course of a few weeks plus the report ended up being like 500 pages with all the annexures and everything all the legislation I had to go through and they would come back and be like this is like amazing like and they wanted to call me and talk to me and I was like wow like I feel so weird like a year ago I was still at uni like trying to decide what I wanted to do and now I'm getting like praise from these big law firms for the like the reports that I'm writing so that's kind of when I was like yeah this is really cool I think I found something that I'm actually good at. I love that Katie I so love that I'm like super happy and proud of you in that particular particular perspective as a justice grad so has it like always been smooth sailing No, not really. I think I had a few times, I feel like a lot of new graduates might feel like that whole imposter syndrome when you're coming into especially a corporate work office and you're freshly 22 and you're in your little target get up business attire (laughs) and your boots 
and you're like, what am I doing here? I'm working in the city. So there was definitely a few times I was like, I have no idea what's going on. And when I first started, my manager actually, my first day, she pulled me aside and she goes, oh, by the way, I'm going on maternity leave. I'm pregnant. I'm leaving in three months. And I was like, okay, that's great. You told me it would take six months to learn everything. Um, So then she had to hire a you know, a new manager. And so my training got pushed a bit to the side. So I ended up kind of learning as I go and kind of self-taught myself. So at the start, I was really like questioning, like, what am I doing? And am I even good at this? And there was a few times my reports weren't correct, or the information I wasn't giving wasn't, you know, accurate. And that like would, you know, shot your confidence down quite a bit, but just kept persisting. And I'm going to say when I started in interpretation and I would write reports, my managers would come back with like, this is not how we do things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it's like learning that t- kind of tailored language and perspective yeah. can be super challenging. Which is when I was in uni, I started to realise, like I started getting, you know, maybe fours and fives. And then as I kind of progressed through uni and I realised sort of what, the lecturers and the tutors were wanting from me I started getting like the sixes and the sevens because my style of writing had changed completely because I was learning a different way of writing which is what's happened now when I first started it was quite simple and now that you know when my manager or my you know my boss checks my work they're not giving me like any more comments anymore because they're like oh this is perfect like we don't we don't need to change anything because I've learned what they want so that was something that reminded me a lot of uni (laughs) (laughs) it's so true that again it's one of those transferable skills that you learn is figuring out what your audience wants Mm. and figuring out how to do that the best that you can and adapting to that is such an important skill I still struggle with that I'm going to say having done this gig for a long time and I think that's just life in the real world so tell me about your new gig Honestly, I don't really know that much about it at the moment, but I am working as an intelligence case analyst for ProCare. My interpretation of what I'm going to probably be doing is similar to what I do at my current role, but more so working on surveillance, like witness locating, witness statements, um, because I actually, at my old job, got my agent license. So oh. I'm a certified agent of Queensland. Yeah, you are. <laughs> which is really cool to say. That's so cool. I know. With a badge, a little, like, flippy badge. You get a little ID. Yeah, so I'm do. like, <laughs> flip it out of my purse when I'm out. It's going to be really cool. So I'll be able to do, um, actually go. And right now, at my current job, I just... Uh, organize the surveillance with agents but now at this new role because I am an agent now I can actually go and conduct the surveillance myself like you know hiding cars and wear the dark sunglasses and everything yeah I love it yeah and it's going to be more so to do with like health and medical sort of stuff you know making sure if people said that they've broken their back they actually have broken their back and they're not just lying (laughs) there's a lot of trying to like detect when people are lying in this sort of job so it's pretty fun (laughs) So, has I guess the becoming a professional, what have you struggled with? Definitely overcoming just my anxiety. I've dealt with it for like a large part of my life. I had some, you know, bad childhood experiences, which kind of pushed me to a, like a darker sort of place. And I didn't really know how to deal 
with my emotions and it sort of projected into the workplace because you're under so much stress and you're with these people that you know aren't your family and for five days a week you see them more than your loved ones sometimes so you know when you start to get under stress and you're dealing with people who might not see things the same way as you it was really hard and I felt like when I first started I had some qualities that weren't that great to have in the workplace but now I've been there for a while and started to overcome them but you know I've still got work to do. I feel like that's a really kind of significant level of professional reflection to be able to go oh maybe I'm part of the problem Mm. here. Yeah. How do people I guess respond? Well when I kind of stood up and finally sort of like spoke with my manager about what I was going through it was received like really well I think it's quite yeah a professional and also quite a mature thing to do to say hey I'm you know not so great at this instead Mm of trying to make yourself look perfect the whole time because you know you're going to do things wrong in a workplace you're going to do things wrong at your job and it's you know you need to take that time to be you know self-aware and so when I spoke with my manager about what I was going through, you know, she received it really, really well. And, you know, now we have a completely different relationship to what we had a few months ago. And I feel like my work and my time at work has also improved. And, yeah. What I guess, strategies did you specifically engage in to help you get to a better spot? Yeah. Well, I sort of noted that I was having a lot of issues dealing with you know being quite angry or frustrated and that's come from some issues that I had during my childhood Uh, I had sought like you know general counseling for my issues but when I was at work I started to realize that I was having trouble dealing with being frustrated and and dealing with being angry so you know I called my mum one day and said you know this is what I'm going through what do you think I should do and you know, we sat down and I called a doctor, I went and got a mental health plan and sort of started dealing with, you know, trauma therapy, but focusing on dealing with anger. Um, And one day I went into the office and I spoke with my manager about it. And I said, this is what's going on with me. This is some ways I think we could communicate a lot better because we were kind of butting heads every time there was a problem. And instead of now having really formal chats in a meeting room, whenever we had some sort of issue or something that needed to be solved we would instead go outside and just have a normal chat like friends and we'd come up with 10 times better solutions and we'd actually hear each other out and we'd end up getting the work done rather than you know yelling at each other and yeah I love the approach of understanding this this is just problems to be solved yeah and I feel like a lot of your job is solving problems. problems yeah and this is just another thing that we need to work out. I think that's a really realistic. Did you expect your manager to respond well? She was like, she's a lot like me. And I felt like if I kind of, I guess, was a little bit vulnerable with her, I think she would receive it a lot better than me. Well, what we were currently doing was just bickering with each other every day. So yeah, but she responded with it really well. She took everything on board. She actually left. She went to another job now as well. But we ended up having a really great workplace relationship that I like, couldn't have asked for anything better from a manager. And it was all because, you know, we took that time to understand what we were both going through. And, you know, we came up with a better solution to communicate and it just helped a lot. 
What did you learn about how you wanted to be as a professional? Or what did you learn about how you wanted to relate to other people in the workplace? Oh, gosh. Um, I think being in this role and being in this job definitely taught me a lot about what I wanted to have in a workplace as I progressed into my career. When I was at my current role, I felt like I needed a lot more independence sometimes. And I felt when I went to look for another role or another role came to me, that that was something I needed to prioritize, that I work extremely well. And I can say that when I'm you know, really independent, mm-hmm. but I can also work extremely well when I know that there's need for collaboration. So when I actually interviewed for this new role, I you know, spoke with them about you know, how much of the workload is independent, how much of it is needing to talk with a manager or colleagues. And that's how I knew I could make a decision because I knew what was gonna work for me. I felt if I was collaborating too much, like my ideas weren't getting heard or I was getting actually more confused by some questions if I was not trying to just figure them out for myself. And that's just something I've always been like throughout my life. I've been a very independent person and I think my work benefits from that at times. So that's something I know that I need to have as I progress in my career. I feel like there's this beautiful kind of evolution in your understanding of yourself as a professional as you know, I work best independently. I need to figure out how to collaborate Yeah. better with people. And I love this, like, you don't go into your career having it all figured out. No, <laughs> definitely not. And you kind of have to go through these moments of conflict and struggle to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. I'm very glad, I mean, at the time I wasn't, but that I had these sort of issues and sort of, yeah, conflicts I had to overcome because now that I'm going into a new role and I'm technically, I'm taking a step up in my career, I can, I know what I can expect from myself and what I can expect from the people I'm working with to make sure like there's a good culture there and, you know, I can be happy also in that role because I think that's important. A lot of people, you know, see jobs as a means, you know, a way to make, make ends meet, but I've started to realize that I also need to be incredibly passionate and happy and doing something that makes me feel good rather than just doing something because it's a job. Yeah. I guess you didn't end up where you thought you would end up when you went in. No, definitely not. Yeah, that's such an incredible adaption to have made. And I love that. Did you have a favorite subject or I did have one and it's definitely also because I got a seven in the assignment and I was very happy with myself and I actually read that assignment over and over again to make myself feel better sometimes. I love that. It was theories of crime. I can't remember what year I was in but I just like I said when I first like when we first started this little conversation uh, I wanted to get into justice because I enjoyed learning about why people commit crime and that it's not just about bad people doing bad things like there are so many factors that are out there that people don't understand and still like you know and they also choose to not understand so theories of crime was definitely one of my favorites it completely opened my mind up to how to perceive you know certain social issues and you know just how to 
almost live my life as well to be aware of what's going on in the world and actually have like a deep understanding rather than you know I hate saying it but being ignorant to certain things which I find I don't know (laughs) my housemate and I actually both studied psychology and justice so we can sit for hours and hours and talk about theories of crime and talk about every sort of social issue and we always get to the same point is that people who some people that don't get the experience to learn about this Mm. are always a little bit ignorant to the some things and yeah I don't know but theories of crime was just amazing in my mind because it just completely just it was what I expected from justice as well yeah I mean obviously not many people love theories of crime I loved it (laughs) I loved it I totally get it though and I like I wonder if like having all of those explanations for why people engage in criminal activity kicking around in your brain helps you in an investigation process yeah 100% how well when we sort of look at like social issues neglect and welfare and people in low socioeconomic like conditions I can kind of see when people might be engaging in criminal behaviors I guess so when we're looking at anti like counterfeiting and the selling of trademark infringing goods we actually do a thing called a sensitivity clause so when I go to markets and shops and stuff I can make my own assessment on people when I talk to them about whether or not this sort of adding this to their plate would be beneficial like would help them or would be beneficial or would actually just be detrimental to them mm-hmm. because there are some costs involved and a lot of our brands have reached out to say that they want to do this which is when I sort of took in justice and I took in my psychology and when I went to shops dealing with people talking with people learning about where they come from what they're doing like their economic status I was able to make my own assessment on whether or not I would want to give them this letter or if I should just spend my time educating instead which brands have actually been really appreciative of that's really amazing mm. I would not expect that of all do people who are, this may seem like a stupid question and I'm down for asking the stupid questions do people selling counterfeit goods always know that they're selling counterfeit goods not all the time and that's kind of when you're doing that lie detection. When we go to markets or a lot of time we call over the phone to follow up letters or we've hand served them and we're talking to people, a lot of them didn't come into this like country speaking English, which is what we find happens quite a bit. And I didn't know the Trademark and IP Law Act until I actually got into this role. And yeah. I'm 23 and I was, you know, I'm full English speaker, I was born in Australia, you know, I went to uni and never ever heard of it. I obviously knew a little bit about counterfeiting because, you know, I've gone to all the countries and wanted to buy all the, you know, counterfeit handbags and stuff. So I knew a little bit, but I didn't know a lot. And so when we talk to these people and they say, oh, I didn't know it was illegal, or I didn't know it was wrong, then you kind of, you know, have to do that little bit of lie detection Mm. we do a thing called you know repeat offenders and that's when we can kind of see oh you're kind of playing us now but a lot of the time we speak to people and they're just trying to make a living Mm. and then that is what's sometimes really hard about the job is you know you've got brands and you've got your work that wants you to do these things but sometimes you're talking to people and you're like I just do not want to because I don't think it's fair sometimes um 
but I feel like it's a bit 50-50. Some people know and they just want to make a quick buck and some people don't know and they need that quick buck. I mean, to me, like I'm running through all of the techniques of neutralisation in my head now, <laughs> thinking about, like if I'm a, someone from a non-English speaking background trying to make a buck at Paddy's Market okay. and I've got these counterfeit goods that I may or may not understand are illegal... I'm thinking, well, Louis Vuitton isn't actually going to suffer from me selling the fakes. There's a whole kind of cultural... Yeah. And there's a whole kind of Australian cultural ethos around buying the fake handbag. Heading to Bali, buying the fake handbags, everything. Yeah, and I guess I felt quite similar, and I do feel like you know, quite similar to how I was when I started about certain things, but we do deal with a lot of offenders that are just completely negligent. We had a few cases where these repeat offenders were importing fake perfumes, which actually became a health hazard. We were dealing with the um, Therapeutic Goods Association with that and the police. So we do have those cases where people are actively breaking what is a law and doing it in a way that could harm people. And it's also, you know, Louis Vuitton and all those people, like it is about brand protection essentially. And, you know, if someone gets exposed to this and they think it's a Louis Vuitton or a Gucci or whatever brand it may be, it could be Kmart or whatever, they could get in a lot of trouble. And it's about protection. And it's not just about them, but it's also about the consumers as well. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of people that will sell items claiming that they're, authentic and will scam people out of thousands and thousands of dollars which is a case I'm dealing with right now with the New South Wales police they've got a case with Chanel with a seller who scammed a lady out of ten thousand dollars so that's the sort of times where I'm like you're a bad person (laughs) but then there are other times where I'm like you're so sweet I understand why you would be doing this and but then we are always open to talking with people and educating them rather than just, you know, making their life hell. (laughs) I also think that it would be a difficult thing to pivot out of, though. Like, if Mm. you're selling whatever you're selling at the markets, like, where do you go from there? It's not like you can then just go and decide, oh, well, this is illegal, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. Like, you've got to pivot to something else. And that would be hard. Yeah. I know. And we, we do, like, again, actively try to make sure these people are like okay and we Mm. understand you know some issues and I don't know it's just really hard (laughs) it is a really hard job I get it I get it it's hard and I think like for me it's surprisingly hard to kind of wrap your head around that what would be your top tips for students surviving at university my top tip probably it's gonna sound very nerdy I guess I don't know how to explain but my friends always used to be so confused but I as much as I I would try so hard to get all my assignments done the week before they were due especially if I had assignments that were due on the same week I would kind of plan out which one was you know perceived as easier and get that one done a week before I can't deal with stress. I'm not a good stress person. As I said, I get anxiety and I try to avoid it at all costs. So 
that's a, probably an unrealistic tip. Um, but if you can do it, I do suggest it because it saved my life a few times and I was so much less stressed than all of my friends. <laughs> yeah. But probably another one is just, I don't know, just don't stress about the end. Just enjoy uni. I loved uni and I wish I could come back and I'm thinking about it all the time. Um, just enjoy it and, you know, it feel don't feel you know, worried about what you're going to do afterwards or what you're doing right now. Just live in the moment, I guess, a bit. You know, uni life is really fun and it can be really great and you can do a lot of things in your time there. And also, actually, another big tip, go study abroad. Oh, really? Yeah. Tell me about that. I studied abroad in Sweden. Yeah, you did. In Göteborg for three months because I went in January 2020. When the oh, pandemic yeah, hit. Did. Oh, Katie, I'm so sorry. It <laughs> just sounds awful. I was meant to be there for a year. However, it was still the best three months of my life. And I would highly recommend anyone studying abroad because it's QUT helps you so much. And oh my God, they helped me so much during the pandemic. Getting home was, you know, trying to get a 38 hour flight back home to Brisbane on 24 hours notice was impossible. So QUT really pulled through for me there. I just, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Tell me the story. What happened? Well, we were just, we were there for three, I was there for three months and I was really lucky. I had another boy from QUT who was living right across from me and he's lovely. Shout out to Alvin. If you ever hear this. Send it to Alvin. I'll send it to Alvin. He's great. But um, we were there for three months. We had actually just gotten back from our bus trip to the Arctic Circle in Finland so we were there for about five days and I get a text from or an email or a text from QUT being like, you've got to pack up your stuff. You've got to come home now. Like, it's getting really bad. And I was like, what? My mum just sent me over 13 kilos worth of summer clothes oh because I was meant to be doing my summer vacation over there. And I was like, great, I'm going to have to go and buy another suitcase. So I ran and got another suitcase and... As I get to the airport, I packed up my apartment in 24 hours, by the way. I had bought all of this nice, you know, really comfy stuff because I was going to be there for a year. Every year. And I got to the airport. I had to get four flights. But on my first stop in Stockholm, I got charged $2,500 for the extra piece of luggage. Oh, my goodness. Two and a half grand. I was sobbing violently in the Stockholm airport. That security almost got called because I was sobbing so loudly and no one was helping me, which was really upsetting. Was there an option of just ditching it? Yeah, but my flight was in half an hour and I would have to go to the shipping part of the airport and get it wrapped up. And the thing is... When I was checking in, they took my other suitcase and then they were like, oh, this is going to cost you two and a half grand to put this other one on. And I was like, okay, well, I'll swap everything over. And I had a friend in Stockholm, so I was like going to call them to come to the airport to get my suitcase and send it to me. But they couldn't get my other suitcase back. So I didn't know like, like if my medication was in there, like what was going on. I didn't know what was in what. And it was, I had to pay two and a half thousand dollars. (laughs) 
so not okay. It was not okay. And I will never fly with that airline ever again. <laughs> because it was horrible. And I... You also, like, you're at a time, though, like, it's, it's like, unforeseen circumstances in the global pandemic. I asked to pay for an extra seat because it would have been cheaper to pay for an extra seat and put that luggage underneath. Yeah. And they said, no, you can't do that. And I was like, please. <laughs> I'm, I think I was like, I must have been 20. I was 20 at this time. Mm. I was in Stockholm. I was, you know, 36 hours away from Australia. I couldn't get a hold of my mum. And I'm like trying to like transfer all this money from all these different bank accounts to my travel card being like, I just have to pay this. Mm. So eventually I just paid it. And I was like, I just, I just need to get home because I don't know when another flight to Australia is it's, going to pop I mean, up here. That was a super good decision because yeah. flights were incredibly difficult to get. So let's skip back then yeah. to how easy was it to organise studying overseas? It was, I think it would have been a lot easier if I had decided earlier that I wanted to do it. I decided quite late, close to the close of applications, and I didn't have a big pick of universities that were still accepting people. And originally I was going to go, yeah, let's go to London, let's go to America and stuff. And then I was got given the options and I saw Sweden and like Denmark and I was like, oh yeah, cool, Copenhagen, Denmark, like I know that one. And it was going to be like, twice the price of going to Sweden so I just was like you know what I'll just go to Sweden I've, I'm blonde I've got blue eyes I should be fine I'll fit right in I'll fit right in and so I just I picked Sweden and after that it was really really easy I just sent them my transcript and I just had to pick I had to pick subjects there that would match my subjects here yeah. that was hard there isn't a lot of places that will do similar units for justice but you can if you look very hard and I would recommend doing like a European country because they're very much into their social studies I ended up doing interpersonal psychology interpersonal studies of business psychology or something like that at the Gothenburg University and yeah that was really fun but definitely take your time to figure out the units and before you pick a university make sure you can match units i love that Mm. all excellent tips do you have any tips for graduating students Hmm. find a job that makes you really happy but don't worry if you're not in that just yet because you need to get experience before you can go on these amazing jobs you know, at the end of the day, I want to end up working for the government in Asia and doing all that sort of crazy stuff. But you do have to take some small steps to get there. Mm-hmm. I think that was what I struggled with a lot when I first started as well, was that I thought I was going to go to do all these amazing things the second I graduated because I was like, I have a degree. Like, this is going to take me so many places. And it will. You just have to wait it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah, the whole trust the process sort of thing. And don't be afraid to switch up jobs as well. I love that. Those are excellent, excellent tips. Is there anything else that you think we need to cover? Like, anything else that you... If you had the opportunity to, like speak to the justice student what would you say oh my god I think just similar for like the tips at uni like Mm. really immerse yourself 
in the degree because it's so interesting and you know I'm also I was a psychology student as well and they just go hand in hand and I would recommend doing a double with Mm -hmm. justice because you can take it so far with things and everyone's always really impressed when you say you do a dual degree but just yeah immerse yourself in justice and talk to your staff if you have any troubles I always emailed all my tutors and lecturers about 50 times a day about anything and everything. One time I did also cry in a class and that was also fine. Tutors are humans and they're going to console you. Yeah, they really are. Really, we are the like warm and fuzzy caring kind of Especially piece. the justice, like justice tutors are always going to be like the warm and fuzziest people. <laughs> like I'm not going to name and shame, but I'm sure there are some faculties out there that aren't going to be as nice. Mm. But just as I never had a bad experience. And, yeah, just utilise the tutors and the professors and don't be scared to ask questions. I'm going to tag team that and advocate for the... I love that you emailed people 50 times a day. Oh, every day. I advocate for students not saying, I'm sorry for emailing you. Like, scrap the apology. That's why we're here. Email us. We want to help you. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Katie, I love it. Thanks so much for coming by to How To Academia. That's all right. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. I am so proud and excited to see where you go. Me too. In <laughs> your career. I think it's going to be excellent and awesome. And I think you are a wonderful human. Thank you. This podcast was hosted and produced by the excellent Associate Professor Jody Deeth. Editing by Kelsey Adams, that's me. Music by Poddington Bear. And this podcast was developed with support from the Queensland University of Technology. Thank you for listening.